0: Today we have the third installation in our sermon series on marriage, and, uh, and we encourage you to go listen to the first couple of weeks. I'm not going to recap any of that today, because uh, we've got a lot of work to do, honestly, in the next couple minutes. And so, um, I know that last week I even said that I was going to talk about submission this time, because it's it's something that... Uh, is is often referenced in the New Testament all the different writers will talk about the role of submission in marriage and i 'm going to actually push that to next week because I just keep doing that so you keep coming back see what it 's a little trick there um, but no i really don 't think that I have time to do it justice today and still get to everything that uh, we 're going to get to so um, please uh, come back if you 're interested in that topic but uh first Peter three has uh, it has some like touchy stuff in it. And what Peter does is he uh, he addresses wives, and then husband You know, wives have like several verses, and husbands have one verse. But really, it's it's in the thought flow of what he's writing. There's this pattern going back and forth, and he's saying, um, "How how are you to live in a like?" In, in like the, the social order, how are you supposed to live in the world? And he addresses people in different situations. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, while I feel like the the principles that, are, that he, uh, he presents to the wives would also apply to the men and vice versa, I'm going to kind of follow his lead and speak to, uh, just kind of look at what he has to say to wives and then to husbands. So just know, know that there is, there is a back and forthness that can happen but I'm just going to kind of do what, what he does. So let's, let me read the first seven verses of chapter 3. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So, first of all, in in regard to you know, he opens up in verse one, uh, wives be subject to your own husbands, and like I said, I'll talk about that next week. But just for the sake of the being thorough in the passage. God has given an order to things. God is not a chaotic God. He's an ordered God. And he's ordered uh, the church in certain ways. He's ordered the, the family in certain ways. He's, he, that's how he does things. And in order to really embrace, like when we embrace the order that he's given us, it shows that our faith in God is greater than our faith in a human construct. Um. And so, while wives submit to your husbands, is is a hot button. Um, there is there is a goodness to it as well. That if you if you think about it in, the, in these terms, as Christ loved the church, so Christ is the head of the church. The church submits to Christ. The husband is the head of the family, and so the family submits to the, to the husband who is submitting to Christ. And so, there is still this headship of Christ even in the family. It's just supposed to be an ordered uh, and uh, there's an orderedness to it. And so submission really isn't about submission in the way that we tend to think of it. It's really just about things happening in the right order. And if Jesus is the top button on the shirt, then the order is going to get right. That's kind of how it works. And so that's every time there's talk of submission, they're trying to restore order to a chaotic family, to a chaotic culture. Uh, not trying to say that someone is better than the other or someone should rule over the other, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, more on that next week. Um, but look uh, look at what he says. There, like, you know, the, in these six verses for the wives, I feel like there are a couple of phrases that just make some of you just cringe, right? Probably, um, I'm going to guess... Uh, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Some of you are like, mm. love that. Uh, and about the woman being the weaker vessel. You love that one? Yeah. Anybody got a tattoo on them that says weaker vessel? No, nobody, <laughs> nobody. Yeah. That's because like these, these things like they're, they're not pleasant to read in our English translation of a very ancient document that was written to a specific group of people dealing with a specific group of problems. Um, so I want to ask you if those are the things that do make you ball up a fist and ready to like hoist the black flag and like start like throwing down, um, maybe just, just hear, hear it out a little bit today that maybe that's not exactly what it means. Um, so look at, look at the second part of verse one or the whole thing. Likewise, wise be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to women who have converted to like who are, who are followers of Jesus and their husbands, or not? Or is he talking to uh, women who are going for it with the Lord and husbands who just don't really care that much? Maybe they're Christians. Maybe you know. Maybe they're they're prodigals or however you want to think about it he 's probably talking to women who have become followers of Jesus and their husbands are are not followers of Jesus. Uh, this was a time when Christianity was spreading in such a way that it was normal uh, normal for one spouse to hear about Jesus, be interested, profess faith, that kind of stuff, and the other one to not do that and so uh, but that of course created a lot of conflict in the home, as you can imagine, and so he 's probably talking to Women who are married to someone who's not a Christian, but it could also apply to the other the other way around, to someone who is a Christian but he just doesn't really care that much. Um, so he's speaking to to these women, and he's saying, uh, "To win your husband, to win your husband is really a matter of him watching your transformation." That's really what it means to win him. I don't think he means like never tell him the truth about Jesus or witness to him or present the gospel or anything like that. But I, I do think he's saying it really, it, it isn't even going to come down to that probably. That your sanctification, your your progress, your transformation into Christlikeness uh, from the time that he has met you. And then you meet this Jesus person, you begin to follow this Jesus person, and he watches you change little by little by little by little. That is going to that's going to make him ask some questions. That's going to make him believe that there's something to what you're doing differently than if you were to preach a sermon at him every day, kind of thing. Now there isn't I don't think it's one of those situations where it's a, uh, you know preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. I don't think it's that kind of thing, but we do have to think about how our lives and our actions and our conduct do—they do present the gospel to people. And so it could be that Peter is saying, "Hey, don't don't worry too much. Don't get on to him too much. Don't don't fret. Just because your husband doesn't want to obey the word, you." You run after the Lord. You let Him keep changing your life. And maybe without even a word, just through watching your conduct, the way that you like act, the way you you speak, the way that you react to things, the way that you conduct yourselves, that maybe He would be one just in those simple kinds of ways. Now, I don't this would be a theme for me for the next couple of verses, but I don't really see that as Peter saying that women are weak or that they should be gentle and quiet in the way that we tend to think of it. To me, like, think about the strength of someone who is following after the Lord with such fervor and in such a way that their transformation is what God uses to win someone into eternal life that That is not a weak woman that's a strong woman that's a woman who knows uh, I know who my savior is and it's not my husband. I know who my savior is i I know who my rescuer is I know who who will change my life and i'm not depending on the person i'm married to to do that that's someone who understands the role of a husband versus the role of a savior. That's a there's a strength of character there. That Peter is is trying to encourage encourage these wives to like pressing into. He's really saying, you know, you you have everything that you need for life and for godliness. Through your knowledge of him who's called you to his own glory and excellence, you have everything that you need. You don't need a husband to do that. Now you have a husband, and that's a, a thing, that's a factor. But you know who your Redeemer is. And so there's a, an incredible strength when, when someone is that secure in their identity. But they're able to say, I'm just going to follow the Lord. And however he wants to use me to minister to my husband, I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, there's a strength about that. So, ladies, I hope that you can hear Peter whispering encouragement to you and not trying to keep you pushed to the side. Especially when he says what he says next. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. So the the Roman influence of the day was very strong. And much like in our time today, there's a trap that is set for for everyone, not, not just women, for men and women. There's a trap to where you, we get hung up in thinking that if we just look a certain way, people will think a certain way about us. Uh, that to me, was what middle school was all about. Because I went to middle school and you could wear whatever you wanted. It was pre-uniform. And, like, I remember, like, just craving to have that name brand whatever, you know, to have the jeans that had the right patch in the in the right you know part of uh, of the jeans whether it was Jabot's or Z Cavaricis or Guess jeans or whatever it was, and needed to have, everyone needed to know that that's what you were wearing because otherwise then what good is it you know? There's no defining mark. They all wore uh, Coca-Cola shirts. Everyone had Coca-Cola shirts for some reason, and then uh, you could always tell when you had the fake Coca-Cola shirt or the real Coca-Cola shirt. Or polo shirts. There was a polo shirt with, like, the polo Ralph Lauren guy on there. And there was another one where it was, like, a knight with, like, a jousting deal, you know? And from, like, 20 feet away, you couldn't tell. But the closer you got, you're like, oh, that's, that's not a dude on a horse. Like, that's not a dude playing polo on a horse. That's a dude jousting on a horse. That's totally different. Middle school was so full of that kind of thing, and you kind of you felt like if you could just get your hands on something that like, fell into the right category, then people would put you in the right category. And I think back on it now, and I laugh at how silly it is, but then I also realize that really not a lot has changed. You just get older, and the toys get more expensive. And now there's a thing, like in middle school, you're at the mercy of your parents, basically. But now there's all these companies that will give you all of, this, all of their money and charge you all kind of interest so that you can have the toys that you always wanted. It's not that different. And so Peter is cautioning these women. He's like, look, you live in a Roman culture, and what they are telling you all the time is that you just got to do your hair a certain way and wear certain things, and you have to adorn yourself in a certain, in a certain way. Um, in order to be accepted, loved, valued, you know whatever it may be. And we know that, that we know that's a lie. Like we're we're cognitively aware like we're like okay that is not true, but yet how easy it is to get swept up in it. And so what he is telling these incredibly strong women who can, can win their husbands into salvation simply by their conduct. He's like, hey, and by the way, don't fall into this trap where you obsess with what you look like on the outside. Don't fall into the trap. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that you have to look terrible all the time, you know. When I was in college, there was there's a group of girls doing this. They were doing this girls' Bible study, and they uh, they got on some chapter about this whole thing and how like realizing that they were tending to dress so that uh, boys would notice them too much, you know. So they decided that they were going to come to the BCM's weekly service, the Thursday night service. They're like, we're just gonna we're not gonna wear any makeup, and we're not gonna fix our hair. We're gonna like wear like sweats and just like we just rolled out of bed, you know, which is funny because now if you go to a college campus, that's how every, everybody looks, <laughs> they all dress that way now. But back then you would, that's not how it was. You dressed up to go to class, you know, anyway. So these girls, they roll into TNT that night and they're all proud of themselves, you know, Whatever they come in. And, uh, by the end of the night, they were super mad at at us because we didn't treat them any differently we were just like we just whatever and then at the end they're like didn't you notice that we didn't wear any makeup and this and this and this we're like we noticed but so what and they were so angry that we that it wasn't a big deal to like any of the dudes and we're sitting here like shouldn't should we get credit for this you know like <laughs> that we didn't treat you any differently and they're like well you're missing the point we're like you're missing the point don't, that's not really what he's getting at here. Nothing wrong with with like dressing in a way that you enjoy, in a way that is comfortable. Um, there's nothing wrong with you, you like 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 I like this gray hoodie. I wear it a lot. You know, whatever. It's fine. I'm not trying to impress impress anyone. Clearly, um, it's there's nothing wrong with with that. But what he's saying is that is it's kind of driving into why are you wearing what you're wearing? Why. What are you going for? It is. It, are you trying to? Uh, are you trying to impress someone? Are you trying to get put in a certain category? Are you? Are you trying to be valued by someone or by a group of people in a way that is just inconsistent with who? With what God looks at. And I kind of feel like what Peter is, is getting at is, is that in order to be the kind of woman whose husband can get saved just by watching her transformation, it's very important that you not get caught up in the wrong thing. That your adorning is not this external like thing that you are obsessing over and prioritizing, but that you are, you're worried about the inside of you. There's a beauty in what he says uh, in verse 4. Look at it again. It says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Now when you see gentle and quiet spirit, that's not saying um, alter your personality. It's not saying that women should talk less, you know, or anything like that. It's, it's not trying to hush you. If you if you look into what it's really saying, it's a it's it's really talking about humility. I saw a, one, I watched a sermon from one pastor. He said, "So you need to, instead, when you think gentle and quiet, you need to think of like serenity, humility. There's a there's a calmness about you instead of the, the chaos that we live in." Sometimes you see people and you can, you, you, can, you can practically just see the chaos within them by the way it manifests on the outside. Trying so hard to look a certain way and dress a certain way and, and and act like they're in a demographic that they're not in, like they're usually like twenty years younger kind of thing, you know. Like, and, and you can just see they're they're just they're desperate. They're, that insecurity that's there, and what he is saying is, hey, that's not what God has for you. God does not have you as it with a chaotic spirit. He has you with a quiet, peaceful, serene, humble spirit. That when you dress the way that you dress and you do the hair the way you do, it's because you're comfortable that way. It's because you like it. It's because it's what was clean, whatever. But, but you're not trying so hard because you know who you are. You just know who you are. That is the imperishable beauty that God cherishes, is this this inner like peace that is there when you just know who you are. So when he says gentle and quiet spirit, he's not trying to get you to like shut your mouth. He's trying to help you like remember who you are and not be distracted by the culture around you. That's telling you a bunch of lies about yourself. So that again is strength, not weakness. He's describing, he's describing a strong woman, not a weak woman. The hidden person of the heart, it emerges in that conduct. It emerges in how you speak and how you react. And it emerges in how you dress and how you conduct yourself. Like those, that, that inner humility, will, it will surface. And that's what he's wanting to happen. He's saying, hey, I want you to be who you are, but I want you to be who you, who you really are. We want that to come out. He's basically in some way saying on behalf of all men, Hey ladies, we, we need we need this version of you. This is we need your real your real self. We we need it. We're the dummies that get distracted so easy by all these other kinds of things. We need the the calm, humble, gentle, quiet, serene spirit in our wives. Then he says in verse five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And some of you are like, I ain't calling my husband Lord. All right, that's not what he's saying. Um, he says, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Look, hope, hope in God is expressed through this kind of strength. And this kind of strength is unshakable no matter what life is bringing your way. And so with Sarah and Abraham, she, um, she blessed him. She followed his leadership. She trusted the Lord and his leadership of Abraham. And she chose to trust Abraham and his ability to follow the Lord and lead the family. Here's what that passage says in the, the message translation, which I think gets the spirit of things really well. It says says, this is the whole text. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way, and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as, my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. We either trust the Lord or we don't. And if you trust the Lord, there is a certain degree of following your husband's leadership of the home that you're communicating to your husband, but you're also communicating to the Lord. I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm not saying that that is absolute across the board, because there are times when you kind of come to the end of that. But generally speaking... Peter is saying he's encouraging women to invest in their inner beauty, and to encourage. I, and this is my side of it. I, I think not only about you investing in, in your inner beauty, but also I think it is very important that um, that you ladies encourage one another in this really like cross cultural, I mean counter cultural pursuit. I think that means you're you're mindful about what you endorse and how you interact with each other. You know, like I think, ladies, you you guys share a common struggle, which is against this all the, the expectations and the pressure that's put on women to look a certain way, and um, that it is a ridiculous thing, it is a complete lie, but it is a it's a real part of our broken world and. Um, Ladies, I think that as you fight that battle, I think you help each other fight that battle as well. When we were first starting out as a church, I remember, like, and the kids started, come, you know, kind of coming up through, becoming very aware of how easy it was to make a big deal out of what a kid was wearing or what they were like good at, or uh, as they're playing sports, like did you win? You know, how many home runs did you hit, that kind of stuff. Instead of like driving to the deep issues of the heart, you know. And so I have this this amazing niece her name is Amelia and I have to catch myself from being like oh that dress is so awesome and I have to be like and you're very kind. <laughs> you know. You're a, you're a good friend. You share. Thank you for sharing, you know. Because it's not that I don't want to affirm the external thing but I want to deeply affirm who she is as a person. And I think that that is very important. I also think that as you teach your daughters to do the same thing, that maybe they can grow up a more secure generation than a lot of us did, and that's not only a mom thing; that's a dad thing too. Dads, your your interactions with with these young ladies will greatly shape uh, how much they will walk in this kind of strength versus how much they will uh, maybe falter under the other kind of pressure. And men, you you know, we play we we have a lot to do with this, right? Like we're the. We're the ones who are careless with our words and our actions and our glances and our comments, and we uh, we got we got to get better because because we do because we do, and perhaps that's part of why Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, he just kind of gives the guys like one verse. Probably because the, the women they were they were so uh, uh, second class at this point. They probably needed a little more, you know. Peter just really just kind of drops this one hammer on the husbands. So here we go with that. It says, likewise, husbands, verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If we're going phrase by phrase, First, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. I bet that your wife really loves it when she can tell that you understand her. And I bet she gets really frustrated when it's clear that you do not, or that you do not care, (laughs) that you do not understand her. So this word is, it's literally knowledge. Like your husbands, you are literally gathering knowledge about your wife all the time. From the very first time you begin to date all the way through to the very end of your life, you're constantly gathering intel about your wife. You have to study her. You have to know her. That's, that's, what, this, that's what this literally means. You have to live with her in a way that shows that oh, I understand you. Why? Because I ask you questions and I listen to what you say. And when I don't understand, I ask for clarifying questions. Because I want to, I want to know, I want to understand you. Because I want to live with you in a way that that sh- that proves to you I, I I get it or I'm getting it or I'm I'm gonna get it. <laughs> live your, with your wives in an, in an understanding way. Then he says showing uh, showing honor to the woman. And what that means is uh, it's it's exactly what it sounds like, but it's it's like honor is about value. Showing her her value to you. So if if she is living in one verse one through six, she already knows her value to the Lord. She doesn't need you to like that's He's He's got her. She may need to be reminded sometimes, but she needs to know her value to you. And so you're showing honor to her. One way you show honor to her is by gathering intel about her by asking her questions and by listening. That's what, that's a part of what you're doing. But every, every woman is obviously different, just like every husband is different. And so one of the goals of a husband, I believe, looking at this verse would be, you need to know exactly um, what makes your wife feel honored, if you don't know, then just ask. I talked with all the wives that surveyed them. They promised to not get mad if you ask. Because you should already know. They will not get mad. They will tell you. These are the things that make me feel honored and valued. And so you file that away. That's you living in an understanding way. And you begin to act on that. But then it says this weird thing about them being a weaker vessel. And... All he's really saying is that, husband, like men and women are different. They're just they're different. Um, There is a like it's it's not weaker vessel in in the sense that there is a a patheticness about a female. We've already covered the fact that Peter is like no women are strong, stronger than dudes really. However, culturally, can we just admit that the chips are stacked in the favor of the men, like throughout history? and So some of what he's getting at is like, look, they they are at a disadvantage in a lot of ways when it comes to how the broken world has put itself together. And so we have to be considerate of that. There, there is a, there is a guardedness. There's a protection that is there. There's a, there's a realizing like until the new earth, there's this imbalance that's in our culture. Uh, we have to be aware of it. We cannot contribute to the problem, but we have to be a part of the, the like protecting and the building and the evening out of things. And uh, that is like the responsibility of men. It's not because they are weak. It's be, it is, it is because they are different than us. And a part of why he's saying this is because men tend to be a little thoughtless with their words and their actions sometimes. But you can't treat a female like she is a male. We're, we're different. And every woman is different. So you can't even like paint this thing with, it with an entire brush, which is why you have to live with your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor. You have to understand your wife. You can't compare her to other wives and other marriages and all that kinds of uh, that kind of thing because honor is going to surface differently. This whole passage is going to work itself out differently, which is why the husbands have to do some work. So you show honor to the woman uh, because, because like that is a part of why why God has put you together as helpmates. And such a big part of that is being careful with what you say. Why? Well, he says the next thing. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why do this? Because she's not only your wife, she's also your sister. And you are both inheriting eternal life from the same Savior. Who shed the same blood for the same brokenness. Like she's... She's worth it, that's what he's saying. Live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to her, because she's worth it, because she is your sister. Then he has this annoying little thing at the end. not annoying for me, I'm not a husband, but it's got to be annoying for husbands. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. The implication is that if these things are not happening your prayers are not quite as effective. So if you're not living your, with your wife and understanding your way, if you're showing dishonor to her, if you're forgetting the fact that she is also an heir of the grace of life, and then you come before the Lord and you're like, Lord, I really, I, I really need this, this promotion at work. Maybe God's like, hold on, big boy. Let's talk about this first. Before we get to the work problems or before we get to the this, all this kind of stuff, let's let's talk about how you're treating your wife. Could it be that God takes so seriously that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church? That he wants to, that he prioritizes that within your own home life to where he doesn't really want to hear you pray about the other stuff if you're living out of order within your own home. I think that's what he's saying. So if you're being a jerk to your wife and you wonder why you can't hear from the Lord, maybe verse seven gives you a little hint. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying what it says. I'm not, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Peter. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Show honor to her. She is your sister. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that you can be men, husbands, who God has called you to be. So that when husband and wife step into that living parable for the world to see, people look at that and they say, oh, like they, they love each other deeply. Like they are invested in each other's lives and, and Amazing ways. They, they are committed. They, they never talk down to each other. They never make fun of each other when they're together or when they're, when they're apart. They're always building each other up. They're always speaking words of life. They're always asking themselves, how does Jesus handle this with us? And then they're just always imitating that. The truth is, we see, we see the same things that Peter is drawing out of wives and husbands in this text. We see it in how Jesus deals with us. We see him more invested in our, in our inner character than in our behaviors. He's not a behavior modifier. He's a, he, like, it, it's an inward transformation thing. So that's how Christ is towards us, and so that's how husbands and wives should be toward one another. And we never see Jesus putting down his bride ever. He is always, he, is, he speaks the truth in love. He is full of grace and truth. Um, but Jesus would never throw us, throw us under the bus. And so all that Peter is doing is taking some of the ways Christ loves the church, helping them flesh out in real life situations for husbands and wives to realize like, oh yeah, we're a part of this bigger thing. So once again, we come back to looking at the original that you are to copy, that you are to model your lives after and following after him. So I hope, that, I hope that husbands and wives are both encouraged. I hope all men and women are encouraged. Peter is trying to draw us into the fullest meaning of marriage and identity in Christ. Let me pray for us. Let's stand together. How about that? God, I'm thankful thankful for Peter's words and for his encouragement. He's encouraging the husbands. I mean, it feels like a harsh word. Maybe I spun it kind of harshly, but he's encouraging them and saying... Hey, this is, this is what it looks like to live in the fullness of Christ in the church. He's encouraging these women, saying that he believes in them and in their strength. He's wanting them to, both husbands and wives, all men and women, to just to be everything Jesus died for them to become. And that, too, is our desire, Lord. There's no, no one in here that's married wants to settle for a mediocre marriage. No one in here who is unmarried... Uh, wants to be surrounded by mediocre marriages. We don't. No one who aspires to be married wants to settle. And Jesus, I'm thankful that you are there to walk us through whatever it is. And so help us, Lord, to to be good stewards of whatever it is you're stirring within us. No matter our marital status, no matter if. Marriage is in good shape or bad shape. It doesn't really matter. We all just want to keep saying yes to you. And we need your help to do that. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. We have a few responses, a few ways to respond this morning. Um, You can come and pray at the steps. And uh, it could be that husbands and wives maybe are are kind of getting, maybe there's some things stirring up and you want to pray together. You can do that here. We have some of our ministers here on the front row that would love to pray with you as well. Uh, you can receive communion uh, Jesus' is, like shared meal with his bride reminding reminding us all of his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us that makes us one with him um, you you take the bread you dip it in the, in the juice and it is a tangible way of uh, reminding ourselves of this bigger this bigger marriage that we're a part of uh, you can sing you can give we want to just give you these moments together. And so our communion stations are open and we'll begin to sing in just a minute. But you just spend some time with the Lord and you respond as you feel led.